The Free for All Roundtable. Round one. On round one, Vas Bednar is here, Executive Director of the Masters of Public Policy and Digital Society at McMaster University. Robert Turner from News Talk 1010, Toronto City Councilor Shelley Carroll as well. And let's start with where we are in this labor dispute. And uh, Robert Turner, I'll start with you. You've got kids in school. For um, now. Yeah, the education minister was with us. I think that his hand is somewhat more strengthened just by the fact that the government, yes, came out with a ridiculous blunderbuss approach to this. They they got spanked, but then the workers went back to school. Everybody got back to uh, the negotiating table, and I just think the prospect of another strike makes you know saber rattling against the unions that much more palatable to Ontarians. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, I think. I mean, I've, the province lost the first round. Uh, they went they went too hard and too fast, uh, and you know the public opinion polls were pretty clear. People were like, "Yeah, we're not comfortable with this." For everyone who lost their minds over the notwithstanding clause. Which was supposed to be politically toxic, so no one would use it. Turned out to be politically, politically toxic, toxic, so nobody used it. Um, so we kind of are where we are. So I think the government is in a position where I think most people are looking at this, and the union did an incredibly effective job, whether it was true or not. However, they played the numbers with you know part-time workers, whatever those. That somebody making thirty-nine thousand dollars a year—that's not enough for the work they do. People believe that. And it seems they've gotten where they need to get on wages. And I think it's going to be a very difficult pivot for the unions to now say, now it's about the services and it's about all these other things that that your kids need. You told everybody it was about the money and the government's come to table with the money. I don't know that you can sort of reset that messaging. Yeah, Shelly Carroll, you used to be a school trustee, which informs your reaction yeah. to this. Um, but what Robert was just saying was exactly the thought that occurred to me as I was preparing for the show this morning. I was going over all the material of what the union was saying as its talking points yesterday. Yesterday, and all of a sudden, it seemed that they'd made this strange pivot from wages and benefits to no, no, no. It's all about you know uh, personnel and the quality of education. And I thought, okay, well, now you're moving the benchmark. Well, I think uh, honestly, if they're really honest, I think it's really still about wages. And and there there was an agreement about what they would and wouldn't talk about. And so, both uh, uh, the minister of education and the union are now trying to spin and message us all. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've always thought that at the heart of this was was the two-tiered increase. And so I, I don't think it's any coincidence that this morning we hear Stephen really highlighting in his comments, and then we offered a flat, uh, flat rate increase, and they rejected that too. But what did you offer? What was the offer? I think there's there's a lot between the lines of both parties here. And I I hope that this this finally results at what is natural in these sorts of negotiations is that 11th hour uh, will be turning on the 11 o'clock news on Sunday night when we find they finally come to a deal. But they really have to get at what is the, at the heart uh, of this difficult negotiation. I really think it's it's trying to divide workers by having these two tiers. He keeps saying, I, we're, we're doing right by the lowest paid workers. Well, no one in this particular union makes, makes a particularly livable wage. They don't want to be split. And that's at the heart of this. But they've got to get reasonable, the two parties, and, and avoid another strike. And Vas Bednar, I'll turn to you. All I can say is that in this dispute, it's starting to remind me, everybody in their life has a couple who can't stop fighting. And after a while, it's like, guys, just go work this out. I don't want to hear about it anymore. <laughs> 
I mean, they, yeah, that's an interesting analogy. Look, a lot of people who have children right now, given the health situation, children are already at home, children are sick, parents continue to suffer and struggle to balance work and those uh, obligations. And I think what we really want to do is try to look ahead and avoid a situation where we have these education workers dropping out, dropping away, and we don't have a workforce that is enticed to replace them. And we have larger and larger class sizes and young people who are even less supported in the classroom. So we also need to be thinking about this as an investment in our future system because we're seeing other major systems that we've relied on for quite some time have the wheels come off big time. Uh, Ontario seems to have given itself more authority, and Shelley Carroll, I'll start with you because you sit on Toronto City Council, um, in the Better Municipal Governance Act, not only are they going to create this strong mayor system in Toronto and Ottawa and then extend it to other cities, but they've also reserved the right, if they want to, to appoint chairs for uh, regional governments. Shelley, if I wanted the province to run my city, I would have asked for it. I'd prefer my city run itself. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you look at uh, uh, what they've offered Toronto and Ottawa, it's really about uh, uh, the the housing crisis. That is at the heart of this. But that doesn't explain going out to the regions and, and going after the regional chairs. In those regions, they've gone through an exercise over, over the last uh, uh, a few years um, where, where some of the regions are demanding that democracy pick those chairs. They were essentially by appointment when uh, Premier Mike Harris first created those two-tiered uh, regions. And, and they, were, they were appointed then by, by the province. They were obvious provincial favorites. But, but the communities really want to elect them, and they, and they fought for that. And so um, while there's a lot of noise about what's going on in Toronto, for John Tory to be able to, to step up and, and make quick housing starts, I think you're going to see the regional uh, uh, municipalities electorates really start to shout out. Yeah, Vice Bednar, you're the public policy person right now. Um, I just I, I just find that the province is big footing a lot of local administration here. I think they are. I think it remains to be seen whether this will actually truly be productive. They're trying to ride this on, you know, the number of new housing starts. So if that's the metric of success we're tying to this, and this is where they've, this is where they're already going, then if we don't hit hit a target, if we don't get close to this target on our housing starts, are we going to unwind those, you know, additional powers that feel like they come out of nowhere? And again feel very authoritarian because they're a surprise and nobody can really oppose them. I mean, I don't even mean to laugh when I say that. I think people are really starting to, to chafe at these surprise kind of pseudo-confounding governance announcements. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, maybe the messaging on it is not great and they're not explaining why they're doing it well. It seems to me, though, most a lot of people, maybe not most, but don't live and work all in the same municipality. So regional solutions to a lot of these issues and how every, how all the municipalities interconnect is a big part of it. Uh, so the province has has to have a lot of say in how it's run. Um, and I mean, the, for the strong mayor system, what's what's the downside of what they're setting up? I mean, my understanding is John Tory with a third of council, if it's a provincial housing kind of thing, he can push something through. Okay. okay. So it's kind of a reverse veto. Um, John Tory is the only one who was elected yeah. across the entire city. So would it have been nice to have everything spelled out ahead of elections? We know what we're dealing with now going forward. I mean, I, I, the idea that 
I want my city to, to be run by me. But okay, but what we're seeing is NIMBYism works for local politicians. And that's what I think they're trying to do away with. And Shelly, you can speak to this better than anyone on the panel. There are probably yeah. times you're sitting at city council going, hey, that makes a lot of sense for the city. My residents will kill me if I vote for it, though. Yeah, but, you know, if it's the right thing for the city, it's your job to go out and communicate why it's the thing that you are going to do. And that's something I, I make an effort to do. The one risk, the big risk with this, and 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 we, we hope it's all used for housing uh, along every part of the spectrum. But it, it, what after that? What does it get used for by future mayors and future premiers? So there are risks here. But the one risk that, that, that exists right now that I worry about is every councillor is coming to the, the realization that they really do have to act to the best interests of the city and sometimes that's doing the tough things. Does this give them the easy out? Well, he can do what he wants with one third. So I'm just going to be populist and 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 always take the uh, the side of the NIMBY crowd because someone else will do the heavy lifting for me. That's that's a risk to the dynamic in council. So I I, I I'm having to rely on John to know that John Tory will use this responsibly and only when he, he has to. That's what he's saying. And if it's to get homes going so that your kids and my grandkids have somewhere to live uh, i i, I got to go along with that for now um canada revenue agency has won the right to go through a big box stores client list to look for contractors who may be evading taxes i i don't know maybe i'm being a little alarmist here robert turner but you know it may start with that which sounds almost reasonable and then what is the government collecting everybody's sales records well, no. I mean, like if they were going to Home Depot and looking for per everybody who went and bought a toilet seat, uh, then I would understand. These are commercial renovators who are buying a lot of stuff from a place where you have to be a commercial renovator to buy it. And if they're not declaring any income in the year that they bought $100,000 worth of timber, I can understand CRA going, hey, we have some questions. And the guy next door to me who knocked down and flipped his house was had no problem telling me how much tax he evaded uh, and what he was and wasn't willing to pay. So I think it's a fairly large problem. I'm okay with them having a look. Okay, Vass, are you on the same page? Yeah, I didn't raise a, it didn't give me the heebie-jeebies in the way that some of these other uh, governance stories do because there's also, you know, a friction, a layer before they can do this. And it doesn't look like the CRA is looking for power, absolute powers to be able to just uh, go and get additional information all the time. I'm sure, I'm sure this was difficult to achieve and it does seem well warranted. Well, if you have a house and you've had any work done at the house, we've all had someone show up and say, you know, if you pay cash, it's less. Yeah. Right. So it's a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, and yet I've I've never done it because my accountant always said, pay your taxes like you're going to run for office. That is correct. I have never done it either. Okay. Uh, just before we uh, discontinue this particular panel, I have to ask Shelley Carroll about uh, John Tory greenlighting early morning drinking for the duration of the FIFA World <laughs> It's legal now, John. Cheers. There you go. <laughs> Put my vodka this down. Is this is a long-standing tradition. I, I call it the Joe Pantalone clause because uh, long ago, Deputy Mayor and Councillor uh, Joe Pantalone always made sure that down on College Street, you could drink whenever the World Cup was being broadcast. It's only an extra hour, and it's very, very specific to this time. And and people who are deep, deep soccer fans will tell you it has always been the way. And just for a bit of insight into what's going on at City Council, Shelley, the first session or the first sitting is going to be next Thursday? That's right. That's that's the inaugural. And, and 
it's generally uh, a very ceremonial meeting, but uh, we got to take care of the World Cup. Do, um, do you guys haze the new councillors? Like, is there some tradition of telling them rules that aren't really rules to see if you can trip them up? Because I would totally do that. No, they don't let us in to sabotage their office or put Rice Krispies in their desk drawer or anything. But I understand you'll have to ask the mayor about this. I understand that between mayors, there's always there's always some, uh, uh, you know, Oh, uh, uh, funny things left behind in the mayor's office, but uh, uh, the councillors, they, they make sure that we're not allowed in to do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm fairly confident there were probably a few funny things left behind from the previous administration. <laughs> Thank you all. Good to have you. Shelley Carroll, Toronto City Councillor Vas Bednar, who is uh, is the head of the... Got to get the title properly done. She works at McMaster University. And Robert Turner. Thank you. Thanks. Oh, God be with you. Catch the round table, round one at 745, round two at 845, weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.